We've been looking at this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. In this letter, we have the instructions he gave to Timothy concerning the setting of things in proper order there in Ephesus. We've seen the preeminence of prayer for the church body. We've seen the proper adornment and attitude of Christian women. And the last time we began to look at these qualifications for overseers, and then today we want to look at the qualifications for deacons. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what we see in the book of Acts and in these pastoral epistles and the letters of Paul, we see God beginning to build his church, Christ building his church, giving instructions on how this uh, this organism, I was going to say organization, but organism, this living body should should be structured and how it should function. So we're looking at, at Christ building his church as we look at the New Testament. So let's read this section here related to deacons. <clears throat> we're in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, beginning with verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, nor fond of sordid gain, but holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Well, I want to give a few preliminary thoughts here before we look at these qualifications. First, the word itself, when we talk about deacon, it comes from a Greek word, and I probably won't say it exactly right, diakonos, that's where the word deacon comes from. And it means minister or servant. In the New Testament, it's often used in a general way for anyone who serves. And I think this is kind of important to get a hold of. Uh, Because, you know, you might say, well, this section deals with deacons, so unless I'm a deacon, it doesn't really apply. But the word actually is used in a general way uh, for anyone who would serve. And I just want to point that out. For instance... uh, in John 12:26, it's used as followers of Christ in their relationship to the Lord. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant, there my deacon, will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then it's used uh, of followers of Christ in relationship to each other as they seek to serve one another. You see this in Mark chapter 9. Uh, verse 35, sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he should be last of all and servant, deacon of all. That's what it's part of being a, Christ, being a Christian, is being a deacon, a servant of all. Uh, 
along the same lines is used for the servants of Christ who work at preaching and teaching. We see in Colossians 1.25, of this church I, this is Paul speaking, I was made a minister, I was made a deacon, you see. Amazing, isn't it? Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me on your behalf so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word. Um, if you turn over here right in First Timothy, well, it's probably on the same page for a lot of you, chapter 4 and verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, this Paul speaking to Timothy, you will be a good deacon of Christ Jesus, a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. So that's just some examples of how this word is used. So when we're talking about deacons, remember we're talking about servants, and in one way we're talking about all of us if we're Christians. <clears throat> that's kind of the general use of the word. Yeah, I mean, you could say that Paul was a deacon and Timothy was a deacon, and we're all deacons to each other as we serve one another. So that's what you might call the general unofficial sense of the word. But the early Christian church, in the early Christian church, it began to take on an official sense which denoted those who occupy the office of deacon. If you flip back to Philippians, <clears throat> the very first verse of chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So you have it recognized as a specific group of people, the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. So there was kind of an unofficial and an official sense in which the word was used. It's this form of the word that we're looking at here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're talking about a class of recognized helpers or servants that functioned alongside the overseers or the elders, elders and deacons. So that was the first preliminary thought. The second thing that I'd like to say is just some thoughts <clears throat> concerning Acts chapter 6. This account is probably a prototype of the office of deacon, even though the word deacon is not used in Acts chapter 6. Let me just read this to you quickly to refresh your memories. Now at this time, this is just the very beginning of the church. Now at this time, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily, daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned, that would be the apostles, the twelve summoned the congregation of disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, getting this food distributed, you see. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. So that's kind of the prototype of this office of deacon. Though, though again, I say the word is not used there. Um, what you see here is a, a church, a group, the Christians singling out worthy men to distribute food to needy individuals. These were spirit-filled. He specifically says, get, me, get, get seven spirit-filled believers. 
to perform this practical service in the day-to-day -day life of the church, which the leaders did not have time to handle. Now, it takes to serve the way the Bible's talking about, takes the Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled men to properly serve. For one thing, uh, you know, it looked like there were some little f uh, factions, little uh, friction developing between a couple groups here. You need spirit-filled men to keep that from happening and also not to f show any kind of favoritism. So that's kind of the beginning of we, uh, what we see here of this uh, office of deacon. Now, actually, like many things in the New Testament, uh, the New Testament church, <clears throat> the background for this position was already present in the Jewish synagogues. Um, you know, we know, from the, we know from the New Testament that the very beginning of the church the, was, were Jewish believers, and they often gathered in the synagogues. So it's not surprising that they would draw some of their understanding from their Jewish backgrounds that they had there in the synagogue. I just wanted to read what one historian said. <clears throat> he said, The Christian church inherited a magnificent organization of charitable help from the Jews. No nation has ever had such a sense of responsibility for the poor brother or sister as the Jews had. The synagogue had a regular organization for helping such people. Every Friday, in every community, two official collectors went around the markets and called on each house collecting donations for the poor in money and in goods. The material collected in this way was distributed to those in need by a committee of two or more if necessary. The poor of the community were given enough food for 14 meals, that is, for two meals a day for a week, but no one who already had possessed a week's food in the house could receive from this fund. The Christian Church inherited this charitable organization, and no doubt it was the task of the deacons to attend to it. So just, just to say that a lot of the things uh, that we see incorporated in the New Testament Church kind of flowed in there from the background of the, the Jewish religion, the, the synagogue, and what they'd learned in there. Of course, it was adapted and changed uh, by the Christian Church. <clears throat> So that's just a couple of preliminary thoughts there. Let's go on then and look at the qualifications that Paul lists for deacons. The first thing I think we should note as we start here in verse 8, he says, likewise, deacons likewise. In other words, what he's saying here, he says, is very similar to what he said about overseers. They must be men, first thing he says, men of dignity. This would include things like being, very, being a serious, sensible, honorable, respectable person. He's already brought that out for the, in relationship to the elders, and he says the same thing about the deacons. Next he says they must not be double-tongued. You see that again there in verse 8. But the men of dignity, not double-tongued. <clears throat> which means they should not be speaking one thing to one person and something different to another uh, with the intent to deceive. Um, this, it's actually an interesting word. Uh, the Greek word here, again, I may not uh, say it quite properly, is dil, dilagos. 
Delagos. It comes from the, the root D-I and then Logos. Isn't that, that's pretty interesting. The D-I part is to, like, it means twice or, or double uh, or two. And Logos, well, word, can mean word or voice or speech. So you can't be a person of two voices. You know, uh, that's the kind of thing you can learn from a commentary that uh, even if you don't know Greek, sometimes you run across those things in the commentary. It's just kind of interesting to see how that word came about. Well, they translated here in our uh, translation, double-tongued, which made me think of... uh, what John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress. He talked of that type of person, a double-tongued person. Uh, He said uh, that some of the people who lived in a town called Fair Speech, and uh, some of the people in that town were Mr. Smooth Man, Mr. Face Both Ways, Mr. Anything, and just say anything to please, you know, to get uh, people on his side. My lord, fair speech after whose ancestors the town was named, and then the parson of the town, the parson of the town was Mr. Two Tongues. So uh, Bunyan's saying this is not uh, what Christianity should uh, be like, and certainly deacons should not be like that. They must be trustworthy and speak what they say, say what they mean and mean what they say. So, uh, men of dignity, not two-tongued, not addicted to much wine. So again, we see that uh, that was a qualification for elders also. Not allowing yourself to indulge in anything that would diminish your discernment or tarnish your reputation, not being addicted to much wine. He must not be fond of sordid gain, which is very similar to the elder uh, being free from the love of money. So, so many of these parallel uh, the other office of, of being an elder. We can see how this area of not fond of sordid gain would be very important since the deacon would be in charge of watching over the finances and the distribution of resources and things like that. If you have a person that's uh, not reliable in that area, not not trustworthy, uh, it's not going to go well. In fact, that's kind of the way it was with Judas as one of the disciples. He was pilfering. As they were taking in money, he was pilfering some of that money. So a deacon certainly cannot be like that. He must be uh, free from the love of money, not fond of sordid gain. Um, Verse 9, but holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, that needs a little explanation, this mystery of the faith. Paul uses that word mystery in a way that is a little different than the way we might use it today. Mystery was not something concealed, but something revealed to those who had spiritual insight. Here was, these were men who should have spiritual insight into God's truth, God's revelation. Uh, 
they must be one who holds the great body of Christian truth, that is the faith, the faith, uh, with a clear conscience. He was one walking in the light of God's revelation. Now, this is a qualification here, to walk in the light of what God's revealed, keeping his conscience clear and undefiled. So, um, go on to verse, nine, uh, verse 10. Let these first also be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Now, it doesn't mean that the deacon w- would, would be given a trial run as a deacon. That's not the idea. But that there has been enough time uh, in this person's life as part of the congregation there, enough time to, for his life to be examined by the, the other believers to, to see that he is a capable servant. Um, and again, actually, we all should have servant hearts, lives that exemplify Christ who came to serve. But some people excel in this, and that's the kind of person you want as a deacon, an excellent servant. <clears throat> well, I'd like to skip verse 11 temporarily and go on and look at verse 12 and 13 briefly. And I say briefly because the phrase husband of one wife was something we spent quite a bit of time on last time that I spoke related to uh, the elders. We looked at the various interpretations that were possible, and so I won't go through that again except to say that basically we came to the conclusion that Paul was thinking in terms of this person that's going to be a deacon being a man who is a loyal husband and one who has his own family in order. The same thing that the, the elder uh, qualification there was the same for the deacon. A loyal husband, one who has his family in order. Uh, you know, again, we brought this out. It's doubtful if one called upon to serve in this capacity as a deacon here, uh, deal with the administrative, financial, and practical aspects of the church life, would be able to properly do this if he couldn't do those things in his own home. Uh, the basic principle is found in Matthew twenty-five twenty-one: You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. If you're faithful on the level of your home life, then God may put you in a, a greater capacity. Faithful in a small sphere allows larger spheres of service. The small sphere would be your home. The larger sphere would be the household of God. So, again, just a similar qualification to that of an elder. And then the last thing Paul mentions uh, seems to bring out that same type of thought there in verse 13. He says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, some commentators actually think that this verse means that if you serve well as a deacon, you're in line for be- becoming an elder. Uh, I don't think that was the, that may be true in some situations, but that's not the main thing that Paul's aiming at here. I just doubt if that's his intention. Other commentators take this to mean that as you serve well as a deacon, you are in, you are 
in good standing with God and have great, greater confidence in your relationship with him. Uh, well, that might also be true, but I don't think that's the main thought. It seems to me the best way to take this verse is that it's actually uh, to be applied manward, not Godward so much, but manward. And I say that because one of the main emphasis of this whole section is on the need of a worthy reputation in the eyes of men. And one who serves well as a deacon will be highly esteemed by the Christian community. Also, faithful service increases our inward confidence, not in ourselves, but in God working in us. As we see more and more God working in us, it increases our confidence in dealing with people and problems. So... They have a greater confidence in Christ, and people have a greater confidence in them as they see them serving uh, as deacons, serving well in that capacity. He who serves well as a deacon obtains for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So we skipped verse 11. I want to go back to that now. And... Uh, Here's another verse that has been variously interpreted. Who are these women? Why does this verse come up here in the middle of of, uh, talking about qualifications for deacons? I mean, doesn't it stand out a little bit strange to you? He's going through these qualifications. And then right in the middle of it, he says, Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons, then he goes right back and talks about let deacons be husbands of only one wife. Uh, okay, so there seems to be five possible interpretations of this. But a couple of them I think we can rule out. I'm going to give them to you anyway, just because uh, somebody might have this thought, and we'll see why it doesn't really fit. Uh, First, some have suggested that Paul could be speaking of Christian women in general. He says women, that's all he says, women likewise. Uh, So speaking of the adult female members of the church, they should be dignified and not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Well, that's true. You know, women... Christian women should be that way. Uh, But the problem is, this view, uh, it just doesn't seem to fit the context of what he's talking about here, qualifications for deacons. Why would Paul stick one sentence about women in general in the midst of verses related to Christian leadership? here, right in the middle of these qualifications, he talk, would start talking about women in general. It just doesn't fit. So <clears throat> the next possibility is that he's speaking of deacons' wives. Deacons' wives. In fact, this is the way the King James translators handled the verse. I don't know if any of you have the King James Version, but you'll see that they just interpret this as meaning uh, deacons' wives. Uh, but that's what it is. It's an interpretation. That's not what the Greek text says. It says women. It doesn't say deacons' wives. Uh, They did this because it seemed to fit the context since Paul speaks about deacons 
before and after the verse, uh, they say, well, that must be who he's talking about. So, uh, again, uh, we can say, yeah, deacons' wives should certainly have these characteristics. But it would have been very easy for Paul to say deacons' wives or their wives, but he didn't say that. Uh, Nevertheless, this is one of the ways that uh, people have taken this, this verse. But again, why would he be uh, putting things in here related to, to deacons' wives? He didn't say anything about elders' wives. Uh, it just seems out of place. Uh, so if you have the New American Standard Version like I do, you see that they list that as a possibility in the margin along with another possible view, which would be the third one, and that is that Paul is speaking about deaconesses, deaconesses. But here again, you run into some problems. Is Paul really intending to make a third group of official office bearers comprised of only women? deaconesses. Uh, We do not find that presented anywhere else in the New Testament. An official deaconess uh, office. And even the word deaconess itself did not come into use until well after the first century. There wasn't even a word like that. Uh, by the 3rd and 4th century, you start seeing deaconesses mentioned in, in Christian literature, but you don't have it back in the 1st century. Uh, so that's a problem. What else is possible? Paul could have been speaking about women deacons. In other words, women being deacons alongside men. It's not a, not a third office Uh, but men and women serving together as deacons. Now, there are some well-recognized commentators who take this position, and they do it by pointing out two significant reasons. First, Paul refers to Phoebe as a servant or as a deacon of the church of Sincrea. Let's turn back to Romans 16. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant. Well, that's the way they chose to translate it. It's the word deaconess. Not deaconess. uh, uh, Deacon. uh, Of the church, which is at Syncria. So, it's just a matter of if you choose to, which way you choose to... uh, translate that verse. It can be servant or deacon. Uh, The other thing that people who take this position, that he's talking about women deacons, uh, is a early reference to the Christian church in secular literature. Uh, Seems to refer to two women who were deacons. 
the references in Pliny's letter to the Emperor Trajan around uh, 112 AD. So this was soon after the uh, time of the apostles here. 112 AD, this uh, Pliny was an official under the Roman Emperor Trajan, and, and he, uh, Christianity was outlawed. He had taken a number of Christians captive, and he wrote uh, Trajan a rather lengthy letter to try to understand what the right policy was in dealing with, with these Christians. And I, uh, it would take a long time to read the whole letter, but uh, let me just read a few little, so you get a flow here. I have never been present at trials of Christians. Consequently, I do not know the procedure regarding the question of punishment or the nature of inquiry. So he's, he's writing the emperor saying, tell me how to handle this. He said, and then he goes on to say how, I, how he has handled it so far to see if the emperor approves of that. So far, this has been my procedure when people were charged before me with being Christians. I have asked the accused themselves if they are Christians. If they said yes, I asked them a second time and a third time, warning them of the penalty. If they persisted, I ordered them to be led off to execution. He said, it goes on to say now, the other thing I did was if they said they weren't or they used to be, I would have them uh, offer incense and, um, and uh, see if they would worship you, you know, worship the emperor. And if they would, of course, he said, well, then I, I didn't punish them any further. Uh, but they maintain, uh, here, here's, he said, here's what some of these Christians were saying. They maintain that their fault or error amounted to nothing more than this, that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before sunrise and reciting a hymn to Christ as God and binding themselves with an oath not to commit any crime, but to abstain from all acts of theft, robbery, adultery, from breaches of faith, from uh, denying a trust when called upon to honor it. After this, they went on. Uh, after this, they went on. It was their custom to separate and then to meet again to partake of food, but food of an ordinary and innocent kind. Well, there's a lot here about you just get a feel for how the church was functioning at that time. But the par part that uh, I wanted to get to here, uh, he says, uh, So I thought it the more necessary to inquire into the real truth of the matter by subjecting to torture two female slaves who were called deacons. I found nothing more than a perverse superstition which went beyond all bounds. So he has these two female slaves tortured, but just in just kind of as an aside, he said they were called deacons. So um, those are a couple reasons why some people have taken this position that when Paul brings up women in the midst of uh, this subject of qualifications for deacons, that uh, he may have been talking about uh, women deacons. Uh, the problem with this, this quote, and actually from the verse there in Romans 16, is that the word 
can, can be translated servant. Uh, so there's no way of knowing for sure if these women were official deacons or not. So have I confused you sufficiently? <laughs> I, I've saved the other possibility to the last because I think it's the most likely. I think he was speaking about women who were engaged in special works of charity and service alongside the deacons. You might almost say that they were women assistant, assistants to the deacons. Uh, they might have been deacons' wives, but they could also be godly women in the church who rendered auxiliary service, performing ministries which they were better adapted than the men, especially in rendering service to other women. We, you know, you have to put things in the cultural context, and it was very inappropriate, uh, culturally inappropriate, to mix the sexes in that day and age, uh, lending further weight to the idea that Paul was referring to female helpers who could perform for women in the early church the same kind of service that deacons did for men. It was, it's not an official separate order like deaconesses, uh, but they nevertheless were recognized as having a distinct function and ministry alongside the deacons. In other words, they would have been there to help the poor and needy in the church, especially the other Christian women. Perhaps one area that would they would be an assist assistance in would be helping the older widows. Uh, destitute widows that the church was taking care of. Timothy actually brings that up later on in the letter. Uh, it was just more appropriate for a woman to be ministering to this older uh, widow than a man going into their home and helping them out there. <clears throat> uh, so it was important for women performing this function to be dignified temperate, and faithful in all things. Uh, let me deal, temperate, what's that mean? It's not given to excess, to be moderate, to be well-balanced, to be calm, to be careful, to be sane in what they do. It's important for a person uh, that's trying to serve others, uh, going from house to house, to be temperate, not given to excess, faithful in all things, reliable in all respects, uh, trustworthy, dependable. So <clears throat> these are some of the qualifications that he brings out here uh, for these women. But I want to zero in on one of them, uh, and that is Paul adds this distinctive qualification. They should not be malicious gossips, not be malicious gossips. They should not be slanderers. They should not imitate the devil, diablos. That's the word that's used here. They should not be slanderers. That's the name for the devil. They shouldn't be devils. Huh. That should be obvious, huh? Satan loves gossip. Satan is probably the master gossiper because he's a slanderer. 
we can see how this caution would be important for women who are making the rounds to various houses and performing service in one place after another. There would be a real possibility for malicious gossip. Uh, you know, this woman that's serving in this capacity goes into Trifosa's house and hears something. And then she's, the next day she's over in uh, one of the other, maybe she's over at Phoebe's house. And she said, you know what I heard over there at Trifosa's? Well, you can't have that. That's the kind of thing that brings division. So Paul, Paul is telling Timothy that this, these women must not be malicious gossips. Things heard in one home could be repeated in another and great harm done. Later on in this letter, Paul actually talks about women who might go from house to house being gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper. Now, that's the way words, malicious words got spread back then, going house to house. But we can do the same thing today. We can go house to house on the phone or on Facebook or using emails. You're still going house to house. So it's something for us all to be on guard against as we seek to minister to one another. Although he's speaking here specifically to these women in that situation, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about gossip <coughs> and slander. Uh, and it's not just dire directed to, to women. Let me just point out uh, a few verses out of Proverbs related to this. Uh, we'll go into this more when we get to chapter 5 where Paul specifically brings it out. But just listen to these verses. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. See, that's one of the things a slanderer does, reveals <coughs> secrets. But he who is trustworthy, he who is trustworthy in spirit, keeps a thing covered. You hear something one place where you've got a choice. Well, I can take that little tidbit over to so-and-so's house, and they'd like to hear that, or I can keep that covered. Well, God says keep it covered. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. That's a whisperer. What, why do you whisper? Because you're not saying this in front of the other person. You're whispering about that person to somebody else. A whisperer. Proverbs 17.9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Again, that idea of just covering over instead of spouting off about something you've heard. 18.8, Proverbs 18.8, the words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Yeah, there's people that like to hear that. It's like a dainty morsel to them, but that doesn't mean you ought to give it to them. Proverbs 20.19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler I think uh, maybe some of the idea there is if you talk too much, you're going to end up saying things that you shouldn't about people. You're going to end up being a slanderer just because you're a babbler. Uh, Proverbs 26.20, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, 
and where, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. In other words, if you just put a stop to it, the fire will go out. But you keep talking to this person and that person, <coughs> things are going to get burned, that people are going to get hurt. Well, like I say, we can deal with that more in the future. But Paul is very <coughs> insistent here that uh, these women that would be uh, serving in a, in a capacity of servants alongside the deacons would not be malicious gossips. So the deacons must be dignified and diligent disciples of Christ. I I think in closing I'll just say that we should be very thankful to God for giving us deacons like what we we've read about here in this uh, passage of scripture it's a great grace uh, that God's bestowed upon us and uh, if some morning you get up and you can't think of anything to be thankful for which is not a good situation <laughs> but if you can't just be thankful for the deacons that God has given us it's uh, it's grace the grace of God. Well, Lord willing, then, we'll take up with verse 14 next time. <clears throat>